Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of my JavaScript story. This week, we're talking to Philippa Lacerda. Did I get anywhere? Yes, close to you did pronounce it right. Yeah, I don't speak Portuguese. I speak uh, Italian, but not Portuguese. So, this episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Anyway, um, yeah, we had you on a couple of episodes of Views on View. This was last year when the show was pretty new. Um, you were on episode nine talking about building modal component. And then episode 25, where we had you and uh, Jacob Schatz uh, to talk about uh, GitLab using View. And I think Jacob moved on to Netlify. Yes, that is correct. So I, I talked to the folks at Netlify on a regular basis, so. They, he moved over and they were like, we got Jacob. I was like, good for you. <laughs> they are lucky, yes. Phil uh, that also joined that podcast is also at Netlify. Who? Phil, uh, Phil Utes, uh, is also He also oh, joined okay. the, same, the same podcast and he's also there. Oh, nice. Yeah, they're just picking up everybody. <laughs> True. Good deal. Well, yeah, so you are you still at, at GitLab? Yes, I am. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to be at uh, GitLab Connect next week, so should be cool. Are you going to make it to New York? Or are you going no. to go? <laughs> no. All right. Well, um, this show is where we kind of interview our guests um, or community members. I've done that too. And uh, just get a feel for where people are at, where they came from, what their background is. Because we get these great people on and we talk about the technology that they're working in. And then it's like, hey... I didn't really get to show people what a great person uh, you are. So um, do you want to just give a brief introduction and then we'll dive in and, and see where you came from and how you got into all this JavaScript stuff? Yeah, sure. So I've been working as a front-end engineer pretty much since I started working. Um, I think it was 2011. I was still uh -huh. studying. I kind of grew into the code and the code grew into me. I was not an easy relationship at first, <laughs> uh, but now I'm very happy. Uh, I, I really enjoy what I do. I really like building features and seeing the users, um, empowering the users, especially working at a company like GitLab where I get to use the product that I build. Uh, so that's also pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and other than that, I, I, I give a, a bunch of talks. Um, I really like that experience to, to see the community and uh, to be able to, to teach something, uh, to see everyone involved. And I do some mentorships uh, in underrepresented groups. So really, really happy for that as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, let's go back and talk about that uh, uncomfortable relationship you had with code. How did you get into programming? 
So in high school, I studied economy and I was pretty sure I would either be a lawyer or I would be dealing with money. But then when it got to choosing a, a degree at the university, uh, there was something that caught my, my attention. It was called uh, New Communications Technologies. And I honestly thought it would be more on the communication side. Mm -hmm. So when I got into the degree and I realized there would be a lot of design and a lot of um, vectorizing stuff and a lot of code and 3D, I thought, oh, this wasn't, <laughs> this wasn't exactly <laughs> what I, would, I was looking for. Um, but then as time went by, I started to actually enjoy it. And um, code was a bit tricky at first especially during university. And when I started working, I, I started as a user experience designer, but then I understood that I would be, like I, I like the, the code more. You, you get to build stuff a lot faster and you, you see results and it's, it's a bit different. Nice. So it's, it's interesting too, just, uh, you know, it wasn't really where you wanted to end up what made you stick around? I mean, could, couldn't you just change what you were studying at school or? I could, but it was, it was two things. Well, first, um, starting from scratch was a bit daunting. So uh, going back to, to make the, the exams, to get into, into a, new, a new degree, basically I would lose an year or two. So uh, that was a bit daunting, uh, the idea of, of starting from scratch. And then realizing all the possible possibilities that that degree offered because you, I could work from video or audio, 3D design, from programming to communication uh, jobs as well. So it, it offered me so many options that I thought at the time I thought, okay, it's a better decision if I stick around. Right. And I think it was. Very cool. So you stuck it out. You kind of got used to the idea of writing code and yeah, you, you saw the opportunities that it offered. Did at any point then you start to actually enjoy it or? Yes. I, I, nowadays I wouldn't see myself doing anything else. And there are days where Writing code, sometimes it's not possible because I either have too many code reviews to make or a lot of calls in between. And sometimes I end my day and I realize I haven't actually opened the terminal and I miss it. So yes, you get, I get, I got to actually enjoy the code and, and love the code. Nice. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clavo, actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? you can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out D-O-T-N-E-T, adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. So yeah, so you enjoy it. What, at what point did that transition happen? Was it just one day you kind of realized, I'm kind of liking doing this? 
or I don't know, was there a turning point for you where you realized that you liked it? Yeah, I think it was, since I don't have a computer science degree, uh, in the beginning, some concepts for me were a, were a bit harder to understand. Um, so I think the turning point was when I actually understood the core of the language and understood all of the the programming basics that are common to every language. And that was the turning point, like understanding how it works and realizing, ah, huh, it's not that hard. So, yeah. Interesting. So um, I guess the next question is, how did you get into JavaScript then? It was in my first job as a user experience designer. Uh, so we were building some products for the healthcare system. I remember we were using, it was a Java-based application. Frontend was using something called struts. And um, then we needed some jQuery plugins and to build some stuff on top of it. So it started as integrated jQuery plugins. And then when we had to do more advanced stuff on the front end, um, it was when I started writing vanilla JavaScript and also with a bit of jQuery. And I think that was when I, when I started, yeah, around 2011. Nice. Yeah, the good old jQuery days. Yes, I couldn't imagine doing it without jQuery though. Oh yeah. Uh, life before jQuery was too hard, <laughs> in my opinion. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, so you get in, you're doing jQuery, it's starting to make sense, you're, you feel like you're getting the hang of things. Um, how did you find Vue? Well, I found Vue when I got into GitLab 2016. At the time before GitLab, I was working with React and Redux. Then I joined GitLab and Vue was... I think we had like two features in view. I think it was like the issue boards um, and some other feature, maybe cycle analytics, I think. So when I started there, I joined the CICD team and we had to make things real time because nothing was real time. You had to refresh the browser to see if your pipeline uh, was still running or not. So right. that was when I started doing view. Nice. And, and did you like Vue better than React or, I mean, how did, how did that transition go? At first it was hard because React, you have like this very strict way of doing something. Mm -hmm. uh, so at first it was a bit hard. Uh, why would we choose a framework that allows you to do anything? Uh, but, <laughs> but then, um, as I started writing more code with it, I understood, oh, this is like a lot simpler and a lot faster. And I don't have, I was able in the first month that I joined, I was able to rewrite a few, a full feature in view. Uh, and I don't think if that was React, maybe it would take me a bit longer to adapt to, to GSX and everything, I think. And with Vue, because it's so simple, it's just a plain JavaScript object. Uh, the concept is very simple. Documentation is very good too. So in just a full month, I, I was able to do an entire refactoring the tool that I was not familiar with. It's just a JavaScript object, isn't that React's line? <laughs> well, it's not quite. It's not quite true. <laughs> I know. I, I hear that all the time, though. It doesn't it's feel like it is. And I'm like, mm, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, J JSX, it, it's kind of Java, just JavaScript, but it's kind of more complicated than that. 
And yeah. I mean, you is as well. It's, you know, but. Yeah, but I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very easy to use. It's very easy to plug it in. So I'm very happy with your decision. Yeah. So uh, what, what kinds of things have you done with Vue that you're particularly proud of or want to talk about? So I guess um, when, when this happened, when I joined GitLab and I started uh, writing code in Vue, I realized that we had several ways of doing Vue. Mm-hmm. And so I worked it with, I think, with Jacob and Phil exactly to, to document something, document an architecture, uh, it was actually based, uh, very inspired on the Redux and React documentation. <laughs> Since right. I was coming from a React world on the, where everything was very structured, um, inspired myself a bit on that. And um, after that, I started working on our style guides. And right. because at the time there wasn't a style guide for Vue. So not only we had different architectures in our view applications. We also had different ways of writing view. So every time you would open a view file, it would be very different from the previous one and would take a lot of time to actually change the code and understand everything. Um, and then Chris Fitz, he inspired, he took the documentation that we wrote for the style guides and he started to create the official one. So I guess that is, um, a proud moment um, on that on, on the fact that the official documentation, the official style guide, was inspired on our own, and I guess that the work with Vue uh, enabled me to go to a lot of conferences and explain how we started using Vue and what Vue did for us. I don't think that would have been possible if we were using any other tool. Right. I love the idea of uh, picking a technology that actually enables you to go and participate in the community. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, they look at, okay, well, what is the best technology, you know, in air quotes, right? Uh, the best technology. And a lot of times the best technology isn't necessarily like the one that's fastest or uh, this or that or the other, right? It's the one that allows you to get more done and allows you to, you know, build on knowledge that you can continue to build on in the future. Yeah, that is correct. And the fact that it's it's a an open source tool, uh, that also is and and view community, it's the first time I went the first view conference, it was Poland 2017. And it was my my first talk ever at a conference at a tech conference. And I was uh I was very nervous, very anxious. And as soon as I got there and I got to meet the view core team and the, the community, everyone is so kind and so approachable. Uh, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you 
and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. So uh, what are you working on these days? So currently I'm um, building a feature in Vue. Uh, so um, we have the, the pipelines in GitLab and then you can see the job log outputs on, on, on the website. And currently it's not very dynamic. Uh, it's just a blob of HTML. So I'm currently working on transforming that into a, into a view component where you can add collapsible sections. You can uh, use line numbers and link to them. You can have the timestamps. Uh, so I'm very, very excited about that. Also a bit anxious. I'm, I'm a bit afraid of breaking something that, I'll, that is already working. So I, hopefully I won't, uh, but I'm very excited. Nice. Yeah. That it's always fun, you know, building new stuff and yeah, seeing where things go. Um, What's it like working at GitLab? I know we talked about that last year, but uh, just just give people an idea of what your day to day looks like. So we are almost nine hundred people in oh, wow. sixty different countries, a lot of different time zones, and I've never been so happy with my work life balance uh, because since we are focused on results and everyone is in a different time zone, we don't have um, a schedule. Uh, we don't have working hours, like people that go into an office. And even some remote companies have these strict, strict um, meetings every day. Uh -huh. um, we do have meetings every day, but they are not required. Um, and you can watch them later on YouTube. You, you can do charts if you want. Most of our things are public. Uh -oh. and they are, yeah, they are up uploaded into our YouTube channel. Um, so I'm gonna watch them be like, look what GitLab did. <laughs> so I'm very happy working at GitLab. Um, and the fact that I get to work on something that I use, not only for, for my work, but as my hobby as well, if I have a pet project. So building something that I get to use is, is very interesting. Sometimes it's a bit stressful because I do realize that things could be better and it's like, oh, we broke this. <laughs> now I have to fix it. <laughs> I want to use this. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, you get this sense of ownership of working on something that you get to use and you know how important things are for other users because you are one of the end users. So yeah. Makes sense. Very cool. We are hiring, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's hiring. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Um, well, yeah, and you mentioned that you're going to be on a Views on View episode coming up soon. Yes, uh, I believe it's about one of the talks I gave last year, um, about, uh, not last year, in February, about uh, Vuex patterns, I believe. Oh, nice. Yeah, I can actually look it up here. You're recording it on the 25th of September, and I think there are a few weeks ahead. So, yeah, I look forward to that. So, yeah. So the other question I have then is you mentioned that you've spoken at conferences, you've been on podcasts and things like that. Um, is there a place where people can go to find all of that stuff? Yes, I actually have a, my website is uh, everything link, linked and it's philippa.gitlab.io. Oh, nice. That's easy to remember. <laughs> yes. But yeah, put it in the chat and we'll get it in the show notes. 
And uh, then people can go and, you know, check all that out and go follow you on Twitter and all of that fun stuff. Um, the last section of this show is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show? Uh, yes, I actually have a book that I've been reading. I haven't finished it yet, but it's called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And uh, it's quite surprising and a bit a bit scary um, learning of how important sleep is. Uh, so all the processes that happen while we sleep and all the regeneration that we need. Uh, so I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, I think there's another book on sleep by like uh, Ariana Huffington. And there are a few others that I've heard about and I, I just don't dare go. <laughs> I'll, I'll realize that I'm, I'm, do, uh, yeah, I'm killing myself by not getting enough sleep or something. I don't know. Yeah, I've changed a few habits uh, since I've started reading it. Uh, no coffee after lunch uh, is one of them. <gasps> How do you survive? <laughs> so at first, it's a bit hard, but um, after after a few weeks, you you adjust just fine. I need my Dr Pepper. I, I just I don't know. It's diet Dr Pepper. It doesn't have the sugar in it. It has some other chemical that I'm sure is just as bad for me. But. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah, I've, I've been tempted to pick up one of these books, but um, yeah, sounds great. I'm going to throw in a few picks of my own. Um, I was at RxJS Live, um, which is a podcast about, or a podcast, it's a conference about RxJS. Um, Aaron Frost and uh, Joe Eames, who are both hosts on you know other shows on uh, devchat.tv. They, they put that together. I think mostly it was uh, Aaron, but you know, I saw Joe running around and helping out. So it uh, sounds like they were all pretty involved in putting it on. They were talking about observables and uh, it was a great conference. I'm going to pick that. I actually recorded uh, videos with probably a little more than half the speakers at the conference. And so um, I'm going to put those videos in interview form up on the website as well. And then um, the the setup that I used for that is is something that I'm actually really enjoying. Um, it took me a little bit of trial and error to figure out how I wanted to do it. Um, one thing that I ran into was that I just, I didn't love the camera I had. So I wound up getting a new one. And so the camera I bought is the Nikon D5600, um, which is a really nice camera. Um, I got a pretty good deal on it at Best Buy and I wound up getting two lenses with it. The whole package cost me about $700, I think. And uh, yeah, so it has one lens for, you know, the kind of the general range that you're going to sit at or stand at to do a video, um, you know, on YouTube or whatever. And then it has the other one for a longer, um, longer view. And you can, you can focus in on stuff that's a little bit further away. And uh, yeah, I've been really happy with it. Um, I hooked up um, the Rode newscaster system to it. And that's just a wireless setup for microphones. So you screw the transmitter onto the bottom of a regular microphone and it powers the mic and transmits it back into the camera because the other end goes on your tripod and has a plug for the headphone jack. And so uh, I'm, I'm really liking that too. And then I just use one of the Shure M58, uh, SM58s that I have in my pile of microphones that I take to conferences because sometimes I just wind up recording just a regular podcast. And so I have a, a setup with four mics and a, a recorder. And yeah, anyway, um, so yeah, I'm pretty happy with that and it worked out really well. So yeah, I'm going to pick all of that. I also have an LED light that I bought on Amazon 
And uh, so it just provides, you can adjust it to be really bright or not so bright. And it just depends on, you know, what the lighting situation is that you're in. You know, sometimes you need a little bit of help and sometimes you need a lot of help, but it, it worked out really well too. And it just attaches the camera like everything else. And so uh, I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes, but uh, yeah, I've been super duper happy with all of that stuff and, you know, got those interviews done and they look, they turned out really great. So yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you, Philippa, for coming and uh, talking to us and sharing your experience with us. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. And uh, we'll tell people, you know, don't miss our episode on Views on View coming up in a few weeks. See you in a few weeks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.